We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me as always, Mr. Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? The Mozgov era is back, <laughs> Nets fans. We got to win and Mozgov played some minutes. Let's keep doing it. Oh, God. Yeah, keep Mozgov <laughs> off my screen, please. But you said it. We got to win 119-111 on the road against the Milwaukee Bucks playoff team for the Eastern Conference. You know, they're not they aren't playing great, in this, especially this month and last month, but still a nice win for the Nets, especially 3-2 and two in their last five games, two wins over playoff teams that are still looking for seating in Miami and Milwaukee. So got to be happy about that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Nick. Um, especially this performance. You know, to only get outscored in one of the uh, four quarters, it showed, and without Tamari Carroll and Dante Cunningham, two of our really heart and soul leaders, it just showed the, that our young guys really stepped up and sort of filled that void. And, you know, we got it done early, you know, a, a nice, solid first quarter performance, and we, we took that momentum with us. But, Nick, you mentioned those two performances there against the Heat as well. What to you was more impressive? Was it this Bucks game or was it the Heat game, the Heat win? I will say the Heat are playing better basketball right now, and I would probably yeah. say like they're a harder matchup in a sense, and the Nets really grinded that one out. Where So against Milwaukee, the Bucks aren't playing great, and the Nets also shot like ridiculous numbers, 54% from the field, 48% from three. They almost knocked down 23s. Alan Crabb, Joe Harris were just lighting it up. But before we get into it, just a quick reminder, you can listen to Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, and like I mentioned in the past, we're now airing on Dash Radio. But to get back to that, Jack, Really, a lot of the stats were in the positive for the Nets, five guys in double figures. The only real issue I had last night, 20 turnovers. And they were, it's not like the Bucks were playing an amazing defense. Some of them were just pure lazy passes. But when you're shooting that great, it kind of covers up a lot of mistakes. It does. And when you have 30 assists as well and 41 made field goal attempts, it almost is like that. It's almost like a Golden State Warriors-like offense in, in the sense that that's one thing Steve Kerr always harps on with his team is taking care of the ball. 
But because their offense looks so goddamn pretty, at the end of the day, they get the W and they look great offensively. You know, we scored 119 points. Yes, the Bucks did score 111 points and got to the line uh, 30 times. But we did still defend very well. You, know, you look at Giannis, uh, Jabari Parker, both of them were, 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 were well held. You know, Ronda had a great game in that sense. Jared Allen was blocking everything that within eyesight. It was absolutely outstanding. You know, he got Giannis back for a couple of uh, poster dunks that he had, but then it was a nice sort of back and forth with his room protection. And yeah, so I, I think it was a well-balanced game on both ends of the floor for our Nets. You mentioned the offense clicking. I think one thing that stuck out, the first play of the game, they got into a nice set. D'Angelo Russell hit Joe Harris at the top of the key for an open three-pointer off of Jared Allen's green, and I really liked that, and I like seeing the offense in group. And would you get Allen Crabb and Joe, Har- Joe Harris shots early? It really gets them clicking. And like we mentioned, they were two guys that just lit it up. 25 points from uh, Crabb, 8 of 14 from the field, 5 of 10 from three. Joe Harris had 17, 6 of 8 from the field, 3 of 5 from three. You know, when you have two of your best shooters knocking down shots like that, it's going to put the Nets in a pretty good position to win the game. Oh, definitely. And um, I read an absolutely amazing article in the sense that it said that Joe Harris wants to stay in Brooklyn Nets for the long-term future. So um, hopefully that's a, a good sign going forward. But yeah, two best shooters, when they're nailing their shots, it looks so much better. You know, towards in that fourth quarter, Alan Crabb was just like making uncontested shots at will. Um, sorry, contested shots at will. You know, one of his best shooting performances. And, you know, there was rumors going into the game that he had a little bit of a flu. So it was like his version of the Michael Jordan flu game. Um, yeah, yeah. He was, he was absolutely awesome. You know, it was absolutely crab time. And as I like to put the gif out every single time that I get the chance, we're crab people now, Nicholas. And we, all are in, <laughs> we all are in Brooklyn. So great performance by Alan Crab. It's showing some really good consistency on both ends. And some nice development in this game. Attacked a little bit in a few spots. And like you said, he just knocked down some clutch threes that were contested in the fourth quarter. And it was like, you know, Crab's light flu game or whatever you want to call it. He came up big. He had a few nice defensive possessions as well, getting his hands in there. And then your boy Joe Harris impressing us with a three-point shot, but also driving to the rim. I think the Bucks were kind of surprised at his strength in a few plays. So what did you think about Crab and Joe Harris playing a lot of minutes together? You know, that floor spacing with two three-point shooters like that. How much do you think it helped the offense? I think it's ideal. In an ideal scenario, in an ideal world, Nick, that is what the Nets' offense is predicated on. It is why we shot so well from the field. It is why we shot 19 of 39. Like, third, I, I remember seeing, like, Bucks fans. We follow a few Bucks fans on Twitter. And, you know, I, I really like the two fan bases, to be honest. Like, there, there's not much homerism from either. Um, we get a lot of love from some of those Bucks fans as well. And to see they were, like, surprised to see so many shots being taken. We did the same against the Sixers. But they just weren't going in. And maybe the shots weren't as, you know, uh, open. And, you know, the, the defense of, of Philly is a lot better. Like, we know that the uh, the Bucks obviously have their sort of defensive system, which is, you know, they can leave those open shots. And I guess that works well for our Nets. But, you know, it was still the first win we've had against uh, this Milwaukee Bucks team in almost four years. Um, in almost three years, sorry. Over three years. So it was great to actually get a win against this Milwaukee team because they haven't been that good for the past three years. Um, I guess Giannis just had the wood over us. And it was good to see that we could actually stop a real star in this league because we've had our issues against those sort of guys. Yeah, and you mentioned it. You know, Rondé did a great job on Giannis. And I kind of mentioned this to you off the pod is that he really attacked Giannis in a certain way where he studied the tape. He looked at the film. He's learned from some of his experiences. And he kind of played him differently. 
you know, he kind of sat at some of those moves. He was able to get a few blocks in there and kind of sit on him. He was definitely attacking more as a trailing shot blocker too, which I think is an area where Rondé could really attack. But I was very happy with his game. He also put in 14 points, 11 rebounds. Anytime he's doing that. And you mentioned Jared Allen stepping up defensively. Five blocks, career high. Also 10 rebounds was nice. Offensively, he didn't do a ton. But his impact defensively was definitely felt, especially against a team like Milwaukee, who doesn't have a ton of size. They might have length, but they don't have the size. And that kind of allowed Jared Allen to kind of roam a little bit more. Yeah, this was the perfect matchup for Jared Allen. Uh, and I think it was probably his best defensive performance of his short career. Um, and, and I think it's the stats obviously evidence that, you know, he wasn't awesome on the offensive end, but he doesn't have to be, you know. A center, you want your center to be the defensive anchor of your team. You look at Rudy Gobert, you look at Joel Embiid, you look at Clint Capella. Those sort of guys are the defensive anchors. You know, if their perimeter defense from the, the point guards isn't amazing, which, you know, it can, it can be at the times with guys like D'Angelo Russell, then Jared Allen's going to back you up. But he also has a little bit of versatility to be able to sort of switch up a little bit. But, you know, certainly everything wasn't going through him today. There was a couple of uh, dunks, um, you know, from Jabari Parker and Giannis Antetokounmpo, but at the same time, Jared Allen still kept on challenging them. And I think that's one thing. Uh, I think KD said on Bill Simmons' podcast you know, a couple of weeks ago, he's like, you know, you want to make those shot blocks. You know, at the same time, you might get a few dunks on you, but if you're a shot blocker, you're going to pride yourself on getting the next one. So I think he had showed a really good mentality throughout the entire night. Yeah, I agree. I, I love that fact about Allen that he's not scared. You see a lot of rookies, you see a lot of guys just kind of get out of the way. Allen's been dunked on his fair share of times this season, especially by Giannis, but also Jabari Parker tried to bang on him last night. He caught him right at the rim, met him there, blocked the shot. Giannis tried to get a layup on him, and probably Jared Allen's one of the few guys in the league that can kind of match him in terms of wingspan, and he got the shot block as well. So great development when you're able to block some really athletic guys at the rim, and we're not talking about you know mediocre players. We're talking about talented offensive guys. Yeah, these are like this is one of an up and coming team that a lot of people had in the preseason. You know, going top four. You know, Jabari Parker, very talented offensive player, top two pick. Giannis Antetokounmpo, top five player. You know, in the MVP race, and they've got a lot of these switchy guys like Tony Snell, Chris Middleton is uh, borderline all star. So this is a really good team. And um, I was mentioning to to Nick when we were chatting, we were DMing during the end of the game. You know, the Nets seem to always pull out great performances towards the end of the season and at the start of the season. You know, they seem to be really mentally engaged at both of those ends. Uh, you know, the same happened to us last year. Even with only those 20 wins, we played some really good basketball towards the end. You know, it was great to see the the young guys sort of be the the, the impetus for that sort of win. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell had a really nice game despite, you know, a couple of turnovers here and there. You know, he was sort of the glue that makes us... He, he, he elevates us, you know. He elevates our ceiling that much further. He's the... As all stars do, they make they take you to that next level. Yeah, and he got hot in the beginning of the game. The first quarter, he went off big. You know, the first half, 18 points. He cooled off a little bit in the second half, but the fact that he just gets us going, gets the offense going, and he focused a little bit more on passing, you know, he's flashing a lot, showing a lot in these games. It's just kind of getting the consistent four-quarter effort from him and, you know, attacking on both ends of the floor, and that's something that's very important for him. But I like the development. I'd like to see D'Angelo have a very good stretch you know, finishing off the season. There's only three games left. He could really attack. In Philly, in the Philly game, he just didn't seem as confident. In the game against Milwaukee, he seemed a lot more confident. And I noticed that in, you know, a lot of the matchups, a lot of the big games, a lot of the bad games from D'Lo, it's his confidence in how he feels. Like, you can definitely tell when he's timid and you can tell when he's aggressive. And a lot better things happen for D'Angelo when he's attacking the paint, even in terms of his three-point shot. I just see, feel like when he gets in the paint, he starts to open things up, gets a better feel from the defense, gets himself a little bit more space to the three-point line. So I'd really like to see him attack a lot more, just consistently attack. You know, he does 
attack a lot at some points, but I'd like to see him do it for four quarters. I mean, we could say that about most point guards, Nick. They all have that ability. We were having a bit of a chat off air about John Wall and Russell Westbrook, guys that are absolutely could get to the rim at will, but they settle for these mid-range and long-range jumpers. I feel like D'Lo does that a little bit as well. He doesn't have the same athleticism and you know craftiness as those two guys, but he's developed that uh, really nicely this season. He's got some moves around there, and especially his passing game. He's got a, a really nifty passing game, similar to like Paris Levert obviously different in ways, but they're both very nifty in the way they pass. And D'Angelo Russell has plenty of highlights when it comes to those passes. His vision is amazing. And that is one thing that I think more than his scoring that can elevate him to like a really high level. You know, his ability to sort of push in, you know, read the read the defense, how they're sort of playing him. If they're drawing him, kick it out to a three-point shoot if Alan Crabb or Joe Harris is out there and let them take the shot. You know, I think it's those driving to the basket, like you mentioned, Nick, and all basketball fans would know. It draws the defense to you, especially when you have a, a star player like D'Lo. And if he keeps doing it, he's only going to get better at it. And I think, of, you know, we've seen Joe Harris this year, you know, number one in um, driving field goal percentage ahead of a guy like LeBron James. If a guy like Joe Harris can do it, who's, you know, not known for it in any stretch, then I'm sure D'Lo can in, in, improve that, especially in these last couple of games. Yeah, and missed layups aren't the worst thing in the world. You know, you're attacking the rim, you get some missed layups. It sets up Jaron Aud for some putbacks or Rondé for some putbacks and stuff like that. So I'd like to see him attack more. I think he can work on his layup package this summer a little bit too, and that'll help his game. But I think attacking D'Lo is definitely better for settling D'Lo. I think you got to kind of earn those three-point shots if they're not open. If you want to take a few pull-ups after you knock down a few in the paint, that's cool. But don't, you know, start off the game by trying to pull up from three off the dribble. That's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, he's so much better off the catch and shoot. So yeah. much better off the catch and shoot. And I think And we us, talked about that, you know, way before D'Lo actually started getting hot from three. I think during his cold stretch, we mentioned it, like he just needs to shoot more on the catch and shoot and not as much off the dribble because it's a lot more difficult. You know, anybody who's played basketball realizes that a pull-up jump shot and a catch and shoot jump shot are completely different things. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think the Nets offense, when it's, you know, we saw 30 assists, you know, uh, Jared Allen, you know, had a couple of assists himself. You know, Joe Harris had six. Rondé Hollis had, Rondé Hollis had five. Uh, D'Lo had five. Quincy Yatesy had three. Um, it was just, and Spencer Dimney obviously had his six as well. The offense works best when that ball is moving around. It doesn't necessarily work best when like a guy like Spencer Dimney is having like 12, 13 assists or, you know, D'Lo is having 12, 13 assists. But everyone's getting involved that. It's sort of utilitarian offense where everyone sort of is eating so to speak um if to quote the wizards um, sort of stuff i think that's when the ball is moving when it's it's harder to defend i've said it a million times on this podcast and i think it makes it it creates open shots not only for our shooters but for a guy like dealer who is so much better especially from the perimeter on the catch and shoot rather than off the dribble because he doesn't have that sort of burst of speed that like a caris levert sort of has in a sense so i think you know if the offense continues to be predicated on ball movement then, you know, guys like D'Lo are going to get their own anyway. Yeah, and you mentioned the team kind of passing better as a unit, and we've seen improvement from a lot of guys. Joe Harris, Alan Krabs even improved a little bit. I know he missed a few passes to probably Jared Allen for easy dunks last night, but he recognized it, and that kind of shows me just the improvement of him seeing the game a little bit better. Talking about last night, six assists from Joe Harris, five from Rondé, two from Jared Allen, five from D'Lo, three from Quincy AC, six from Spencer Dinwiddie, and two from Levert. You know, just plenty of guys kind of passing the ball and setting everybody up. And talking about Levert, you know, stat-wise, 13 points, three rebounds, two assists, nothing crazy, but I felt like he did an incredible job of kind of breaking down all the box defenders and kind of initiating the offense by getting in the paint and kind of collapsing everything. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of steals last night, Nick, but Karis Levert still is always one who's a real threat from there. He's pesky. Uh, 
He's very pesky. He's got that length about him. He's got that baby Bambi style about him in terms of he's always going to be a threat around there. And I think when he's paired with a D-low, I, I feel like that's where he can sort of you know elevate himself. I feel like a lot of these guys have you know real defensive potential, and it's just about the mentality in that sense. You know, Rondé Hollis Jefferson last night, you know, great defensive game from him. You know, there's always been a real high upside for him. Jared Allen, we know um, the defensive upside of him. He could be a p- potential defensive player of the year candidate. Um, Joe Harris has improved out of sight in that sense. Um, Alan Crabb has as well. So I feel like, and obviously Quincy Ace is always out there giving good energy and taking charges. So I feel like the defense, you know, it's a sort of team mentality. You see other players doing it, that it sort of inspires you and it sort of wills the other players to do it. You see a good exactly. block from a Jared Allen. It, it, it inspires the team. It, it gives you that sort of energy, that, that, um, that inherent energy that you can't really sort of speak about. It just lifts the team in, in many ways. And defense is all about team effort. It's almost impossible in the NBA to guard guys one-on-one. It's all about a defensive effort from a team. And I think you mentioned there's some guys individually who can definitely take their game to another level defensively. And if the whole unit kind of steps up, allow guys to kind of really show off their skills. But if, you know, three guys are playing defense and the other two are kind of being lazy, and I hate to call out D'Angelo, but sometimes he does get lazy defensively in terms of, like, just not putting in enough effort, it hurts the whole squad because, you know, four guys can't defend five. It has to be five guys defending five guys. It has to be. And, and I think that's communication. Uh, and, and no, that's like- a, that's a, a wonderful point, Jack, because I think that is an area where the Nets could improve communicating defensively, which is super important in terms of screens. The Nets, we've mentioned on here a million times, they've had trouble with pick and roll and screens all season long. And I think a lot of that is somewhat scheme and communication. They're just not talking enough. And that's common from a young team. No one's out there to really be like, all right, get out here. Like Jared Allen could be that guy in the future. He's not very loud, but I could see him kind of initiating the defense or even Ronda in a sense. Yeah, definitely. I feel like Ronda has got a real sort of chance to sort of be that guy. I'd, I'd love to see, as we sort of see on a lot of like the, the players only broadcasts and the, and the live broadcasts on, on network TV, um, a, a, one of their Nets players sort of mic'd up to see how much they are really communicating out there. Obviously, if you're not at the game, you can't really go sort of get that sense of, of, and the feel of it. Yeah, but it'd always be sort of one question if I was like a Nets reporter in the media scrum, I'd be asking Coach Kenny, how's the communication from the lads so far? And, and I feel like that's one thing that comes with chemistry as well. And I feel like a whole season together, you know, I feel like this Nets squad, you know, has sort of got the feel of each other, they know each other's game. We've seen, you know, spurts from um, Carol Silvert and Alan Crabb where they've been a bit quieter. But now they're sort of, you know, everyone's into their own. Everyone knows where they like each other's shots. Everyone knows how they play each other's game. I'm sure there'll be some uh, new pieces going into the offseason that will need to be integrated. But, you know, if we have a core there that's going to take us going forward. When you look at a Jared Allen, a D'Lo, a Carlos Silvert, those are sort of three guys that are going to be taking us going forward. Ronda Hollis-Jefferson to a, to a lesser extent. Um, so I feel like, you know, it's, it's about communication. It's about team chemistry. Those sort of two things go hand in hand. And there are two things that really take time. You know, this is a young team. You know, they're not going to feel as confident defensively. They're not going to feel as confident with his scheme. They're not going to have as much experience to call things out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like I mentioned with Rondé, he looked a lot better guarding Giannis because he had experience guarding him and seeing what he did on tape a little bit more. And I think the Nets unit in general, you know, having more time against other players in the league. And then, like you mentioned, spending more time together offensively and defensively, it should allow them to just get better next season. And not enough is talked about that, I think, in the NBA in general. When you keep a squad together, they definitely, chemistry is boosted and they feel more comfortable. They kind of know where this guy's going to do, where he likes the ball. Like D'Angelo specifically, with Pastor like that, who's like a little bit fancy in a sense, where he's trying to really like be spot on in certain spots, his feel for his teammates is very important. Yeah, absolutely. 
obviously has has his moments where you know he might try too much, he might force it too much. But like I said, he is the key to this sort of net squad and sort of making the playoffs and sort of you know reaching their championship aspirations in the in the near future. You know, it's it's not going to be an easy process. But I feel like if Dealer remains engaged and remains you know confident in that sense and he keeps developing that sort of you know chemistry with the rest of his team, because you know we know that the point guard is at the center of every sort of great team. You look at Stephen Curry, you look at James Harden and Chris Paul. You look at, obviously, LeBron James is the point guard. Uh, well, let's not be real here. Um, so I feel like, you know, D'Lo is that sort of guy for us. And, you know, to have a guy like Jared Allen sort of on the come up as well, there's a certain um, mix and match of personalities here, but I feel like everyone has a good understanding of each other and to sort of be growing together in a sense similar to what, like, OTG is doing. When you're building from the ground up, there is that sort of, you know, element of pride of, like, you know, you want to do something here and we want to do it together. There's an element of pride and camaraderie that's built really early on. And I feel like this is probably this season is going to be the stepping stone for bigger and better things going forward. Yeah, and there's been plenty of progress. We've mentioned, like, the wins aren't necessarily where probably the Nets want them to be, but development, I think, improvements. And I think one thing we've seen along the season is guys improved a lot in the offseason, like Joe Harris, Spencer Dewey, Rondé, you know, Karras. They all took their games to another level, but development as the season has progressed with guys like Jared Allen has gotten a lot better from when he first started playing. Joe Harris has improved in terms of a passer. Defensively, Alan Crabb has taken his game to another level. D'Lo is starting to find a little bit more consistency. Uh, Karras, I think, is attacking guys a little bit more defensively, getting a better feel of being a playmaker and attacking guys in this league. I think he realizes that he can kind of blow past a lot of guys. Rondé's decision-making has improved as the season's progressed. I just think there's a lot of improvements as the season has progressed, not just in the offseason, which is a really big positive because you don't necessarily always see that yeah i think it comes a little bit from coaching as well uh, yes, probably for sure. a lot of a lot of bit when it comes to this young sort of team i think coach kenny obviously gets criticized for like you know taking guys out <laughs> honestly he gets criticized way too much for he does. And it's, it's kind of crazy <laughs> it is it's, it's, and it's a guy in his second season i feel like we all need to sort of you know take a chill pill in that sense you know he's learning on the job to an extent as well it's it's almost like this entire organization as we've said millions of times is building together and they're all it's all of like i, I feel like a, uh in zach lowe's piece yesterday he had spencer dimry as one of his like un, his uh luke walton superstars luke walton all-stars as he does every year and you know there was a, some quotes from him and coach kenny in the sense that you know spencer dimry can you know be very talkative in, in in the sense that you know in the past it sort of you know um it was a negative but you know with this new net squad you know he'll talk in, in team huddles and stuff and coach kenny will be like oh I, I didn't see it that way so, like, it's almost like, you know, it's a very sort of open dialogue that's happening with the with the Nets right now. Yes, Coach, his decision is the final one. Same with Sean Marks. But at the same time, you know, all these guys are going together. And it's not like, you know, we saw the sort of D-Lo benching in the Heat game. You know, he came back and, you know, against the Sixers wasn't amazing. But, you know, he's, he's never going to really hold it against him. Um, I feel like that's one good thing about this sort of Nets squad. You know, we're de- developing those relationships at this stage. Because it's important, you know, you want to play for your coach. You want to, you know, go out there and sort of execute what he's saying. And I feel like a lot of times when we get these really good wins, you know, in the post-game coverage with like Michael Grady and stuff, they always ask him, it's like, yeah, well, Coach Kenny, you know, gave us this sort of defensive scheme that we wanted to execute it. We just went out there and did it. That's like one of the first things that they always say, like, how did you get the win? They always mention the coach. And I feel like when it comes to young teams, coaching is a, a really vital part of sort of their development. 
And I think the players really respect Kenny. We've seen, you know, it hasn't been talked about as much as he's come to Brooklyn because, you know, they just don't report as much, I think, about, like, what goes on behind the scenes. But Al Horford, I think Kyle Korver, Paul Millsap, all talked about him as really putting in a lot of effort with practice, kind of in, being involved in the drill sometimes and really just showing guys what he wants instead of just telling them. And I think that kind of builds some respect. Like you said, D'Angelo wasn't really pissed. I'm sure internally he was probably a little bit mad about it because every everybody would be if they were benched. But he kind of understood the fact and he respected his opinion. And I think at the end of the day, sometimes the fans need to respect the fact that Kenny sees these guys all week. He sees them practice, seen them all year. He has a better understanding and he knows in the small things they do sometimes that we don't necessarily see that he's told them not to do a million times and they still do it. It's going to piss him off. So I think like in some extent, and like you mentioned, Jack, development as a coach is something that's happening too. Like, it's not like the Nets job was the most attractive job in the world. They didn't have any super talented guys. Like at the, I think, well, at the time they signed Rondé, they only had, I mean, at the time they signed Atkinson, they only had like Rondé as a young piece. Like they didn't have Karras yet. They didn't have Jared Allen. They didn't have D'Angelo Russell. Like there was a lot of issues with the team. And there was no youth. And having Kenny come in and really bind Brooklyn and really invest a lot in the team, I think it's great. And I think people under, underestimate that fact that he's really helped build the culture in a situation where really nobody wanted to coach. Yeah, and we mentioned before in the sense that, you know, culture breeds success and success can breed a, a winning culture. We're sort of going the, the formal route the, where it's like we have to build a winning culture through the, the, what we can create through the team chemistry and, and what we can create in the locker room because we don't have the superstar talent that a Golden State Warriors or Houston Rockets have. We can't bring in a guy like a Dan Tony or Steve Kerr and we've got the stars there. So you have to build, build in the culture on top of what already is like a a sort of winning sort of superstar team that you have. We don't have that yet. We've got the, our youth is, is what's there. We have potential there. So with potential, we need to breed and bring it out of them, which is obviously why coaching is such a huge part. But Nick, we've only got three games left, two of them against the Bulls, one of them against the Boston Celtics. Are we going to get two wins out of that, you reckon? I, I hope so. The Bulls want to lose. You know, we should help them lose. You know, they're probably going to bench their guys, you know, not try to win the game. It's going to really be about effort because this is probably the Bulls matchups or two games where the Nets will probably be more talented than the team they're facing. So yeah. if they just play hard, execute, no stupid turnovers, don't kind of, you know, they take them serious. They could possibly have their first three-game win streak of the season in terms of, you know, winning the next two against the Bulls. And who knows? I, like, I don't want to say they're going to beat Boston because, like, Brad Stevens going to get some random dude to play super hard and drop, like, 20 <laughs> and play crazy defense and, like, lock down the Nets. But I think it's another game where they could win, too, because Boston most likely is going to be resting their guys on that last game of the season. So I think there's a possibility they could win the rest of the games. I don't want to go and call it because the Nets have let us down in matchups where they should have won. But it's a real possibility they could finish the game, finish the season on a winning stretch. Yeah, the Bulls to me are like the most unpredictable of all the the, the tanking teams, uh, the gnarly nine as they call them. Um, it's just you don't know what you're going to get out of them. You don't know if like you know, obviously Zach Levine's been shut down, but you don't know if a guy like Justin Holiday is going to put thirty on you. Um, Kilpatrick's going to try super hard those two games. He's going to he's going to put in a lot of effort. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to drop thirty one game. He's uh, and I mean it's going to be fate accomplished. One of those games, he's gonna he's gonna have at least fifteen shots, no matter how many minutes that he gets. And he's already <laughs> had one. He's already had one big performance for the for the Bulls. I think scored like nineteen points in in one of his games with the Bulls. So you know, much respect to that guy. The fact that he's you know still putting up buckets. You know, I feel like he has a spot on on some roster out there because you know there's there's always a spot for a guy that can get you a bucket. You know, look at Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams. So he'll be one guy that we'll have to keep an eye on, and I'm sure Coach Kenny knows what he can do. But, you know, yeah, like you said, we have the talent there. You know, D'Angelo Russell is better. 
you know, Jared Allen is, is better than you know, Robin Lopez in the sense of potential. And, and, and Robin's probably not even going to play. <laughs> exactly. He'll probably play really well in the first quarter. It's like, um, you know, Fred will probably sub him out for the rest of the game. Ah, like what the Grizzlies have been doing with like Marcus Sol. So, in Orlando, can... Orlando has been one of those super tanking teams. I think like they're sitting Aaron Gordon tonight. <laughs> it, it bewilders me in the league right now that they're trying to be so hard on it, and the tactics being shown are clear evidence of tanking. Yet it's not happening. But obviously, there's a discussion for another day. Our nets are are far from tanking, and you know it might be a discussion for us next season. Hopefully not, because we're still putting in uh, putting in the work. But yeah, hopefully we get two wins. You know, it might be, um, it could be a miracle. We could get three. Yeah, it could be a four-game winning streak, which would be really amazing and probably the first time it's happened in Brooklyn. And they didn't have a four-game win streak last year. They definitely didn't have one the year before. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't have the one year before that as well. So maybe it's all the way back to when uh, Jason Kidd was the head coach. It's the yeah. last time they probably had a four-game win streak. Yeah, And just a touch on the Sixers game. You know, it was just a bad performance. You know, just no energy. They came out really just, like, dead. I think, like, that Miami Heat game really killed them for the next few. And also, it was a super strange game as the Nets didn't make their first two-point field goal, I think, until, like, the second quarter. Just a ton of threes. And it wasn't like all the threes were bad shots. The Nets just weren't hitting their threes. Yeah, I was running the OTG Twitter that line. I was keeping an eye on um, on your Twitter page and a lot of the Nets guys on Twitter, like Anthony Puccio and all the guys from Nets Stanley in the Brooklyn game. Um, it, it seemed like a really weird performance. Whenever it was I could, a weird-ass game. Just a, one of those weird games. And I feel like, you know, the Nets were just outclassed by a team that, you know, is right now the hot team in the NBA. You know, they won 12 straight games. And, you know, we just happened to be a part of that sort of winning streak for them. And, you know, they have so much talent, you know, from top to bottom in terms of, you know, not just their rookies and their young guys like a Ben Simmons but and Robert Covington, but also guys like Ilya Sova and JJ Reddit. These guys know how to get buckets. And, the Nets have one or two of those guys in our team. You could certainly add one or two wins to our um, our total as well. But a last one before we go, Nick. I saw this. The there was a um, a stat that like Brooke Lopez and Jared Allen have had like the longest streaks with a block in in the uh, in Brooklyn Nets franchise history. It got me to thinking: Can Jared Allen be better than Brooke Lopez? Ah, that that's a great question, and it's really hard to gauge Brooke because he never really had any deep playoff success. Yeah. Based off what Sean Marks is doing and the way the Nets are going, I think there's obviously a deep playoff run in the future. Not, you know, real quick or anything, but down the line. And Jared Allen seems like the Nets are going to treat, try to keep him for the next 10 years. I think there's potential to be a better overall player. I don't know if he'll ever be better offensively from Brooke because Brooke has had some really dominant seasons offensively. Overall, I think Jared Allen's impact defensively, rebounding-wise, something I mentioned to you, Brooke was kind of, in a sense, a lazy rebounder. He boxed out, but he didn't really attack the boards. And Allen could really be a super good pick-and-roll type player, but he won't have, I don't think, ever the post game that Brooke had. But overall, I think he could possibly be a better two-way player. I don't think offensively he'll ever pass Brooke, though. I mean, it's huge because Brooke Lopez is the franchise guy when it comes to Brooklyn Nets, you know, top leading scorer in that sense. We, we talked about the fact that, you know, he's not going to be – the offensive force that Brook is because he's just underrated in how good he is in that sense. But, you know, to have, uh, I feel like Jared Allen, and to, if we're, we're already comparing him to the franchise guy in Brooklyn Nets history in his first season, that is not even over yet. Um, it's already very promising signs um, going forward. So I actually have a nice little stat that I saw on Reddit. Jared Allen is putting together one of the best rookie seasons ever for a teenage big man. Top five in purrs for 19-year-olds all time. Number one, Anthony Davis. Number two, Andre Drummond. Number three, Jared Allen. Number four, Dwight Howard. And number five, KG. 
So to be able to have a per at this level, obviously it's advanced stats and people will take what they want to take out of it. But I think it's just incredible and kind of speaks about his potential going forward. And I love the fact, I think we mentioned on a previous show, Kenny kind of talked about how Jared Allen really wants to be great. He might not be vocal about it, but internally he has that confidence to be one of the best in the league. And I think there is potential. And he, who knows, he could end up being better offensively than Brooke. I think there's just like a lot of potential about Jared Allen that we don't know about. He's only 19 years old, which is super young. Yeah. And and I feel like he's got... So many, so much untapped potential in the sense of obviously his offense, but then his defense as well. We know he's like a great shot blocker, but I feel like he's got great potential to be a nice sort of perimeter defender and a nice guy that can switch and you know play clutch minutes. Not necessarily be a guy that we have to sub out and when we go small. I feel like he can be, um, obviously, um, unless it turn in terms of spacing, if he can't hit that shot, obviously he might need to be spaced out offensively. But in terms of his defense, he can. He already probably is our best defender um, alongside maybe a Rondé and maybe to a lesser extent Karras. Um, Tamari's pretty good. This has been pretty good this year as well. But I feel, yeah, he's got that potential already. And there's four other, four other names that you mentioned there. You know, all guys that are all-stars. And you know, Andre Drummond um, has increased exponentially this year. Anthony Davis, I feel like he has a, a, a few similarities in terms of his sort of low-key demeanor in, in the way Jared Allen goes about things. So uh, all those sort of guys, to be in, even in the same conversation as those four, uh, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, looking at the list, Anthony Davis has potential, in my opinion, to be one of the all-time greats in terms of the big position yep. if he yep. keeps it, you know, attacking the way he is. Andre Drummond, whatever, he's probably like a top five, top ten center in the league, depending on how he's playing in, you know, season to season because last year he wasn't very good. This year he's improved a lot. Uh, Dwight Howard, all-time center. He was ridiculous in Orlando. Obviously, his numbers have come down. His impact has come down. But he got a team to the finals, essentially being that main cog. Yeah. KG, arguably the best power forward ever, depending on who you're asking. If not, he's top five. And especially the defensive impact KG could have. Honestly, I would love love Jared Allen to spend some time with Kevin Garnett. He could use a little crazy in him. Yeah, and like we, we see the impact that sort of KG has on a, on a lot of these guys. He, he wants to see the young guys go well. Uh, he's sort of got that mentoring sort of experience. You know, he's had that effect on Carl Anthony Tantor. We've seen sort of, obviously, Carl Anthony Tantor has the potential, like you mentioned about Anthony Davis, to be an all-time great. You know, Carl Anthony Tantor is already on that uh, trajectory as well. So, you know, in terms of the bigs in today's NBA, you know, everyone's talking about these unicorns and what they can do on both ends of the floor. Jared Allen has that potential, but at the same time, I heard someone talking about the fact that uh, it might have been a guy from, um, from Locked On um, in the sense that Rudy Gobert has the potential to be a top 10 player in terms of his defensive impact. You know, if you're the best defensive player in the league, you know, Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard, Rudy Gobert, then you're automatically in that top 15, the top 20 conversation because that is one area of the floor that needs to be covered. And if you're the best on that end, it's like the best offensive player. The best offensive player right now is probably James Harden. And he's in the top five, top 10 easily. So if you're the best player on the other end of the floor, which is, you know, 50% of the game, then you're automatically probably in that conversation as well. And Jared Allen has that ceiling where he can be in that conversation. You know, Rudy Gobert is probably the guy that's going to be in that mantle for the next couple of years. But, you know, no one talked about Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert was taken around a similar pick to Jared Allen. You know, late I remember you and Rudy Gobert. He, he looked rough at times, but you saw the potential with his length and athleticism. And now it's all come together and he's just kind of experienced the game a little bit more. And I think... Uh, Rudy Gobert obviously spent time internationally where it's obviously helps playing in the United States against better talent. So I think that could really help Jared Allen. And just like, I love his mentality. And also you mentioned Rudy Gobert being one of the best players in the league. Definitely one of the best centers, in my opinion, probably defensive player of the year with the impact he's having. 
Yeah. I want to say, I don't know the stat off the top of my head. It was January 19th he came back. The Jazz were a few games under 500. The Jazz are currently 46 and 33 and the fourth seed in the Western Conference. And they were sitting out of the playoff picture and it looked like they might miss the playoffs for the year. Rudy Gobert comes back and changes the season. Yeah, he and he it was like a defensive rating, I think like 98 it's been since he's been back. Obviously, that could have changed in the last sort of couple of games, but to keep a team under 100 points per 100 possessions in today's NBA is something that's unheard of. Like, it's literally unheard of. And he's just had such an impact. And it shows that, you know, to be an, an elite defensive player, it's it's uh, such an integral part of the game, you know. And obviously, another thing I feel like that um, has had a huge impact on Rudy Gobert's performances is Quinn Snyder is an absolutely amazing coach. Yes. And, is probably low-key in that coach of the year conversation in terms of what he's gotten out of Donovan Mitchell, what he's gotten out of Rudy Gobert in, in his Losing Gordon run. Hayward. Losing Gordon Hayward and being able to... This team is could finish top four and get a home advantage. And it's absolutely insane, you know, what he's getting out of, like, Jay Crowder, my boy Joe Thringles as well. You know, I like Joe Ingles. That's my it, guy. I really liked his game last year, especially in the playoffs. He's a guy I feel like they get slept on. It, it does. And I, I feel like it shows... How important good coaching is in today's NBA. Now, in a lot of other sports, you, you know, coaching might be overemphasized a little bit. But uh, in comparing to, uh, other sports and to what I watch, I feel like coaches don't get paid enough because in, when you compare, it's funny to, they get paid the most in college sports than they do in the NBA sometimes, especially college football. It's weird. Exactly, and in comparison to for all the Aussie fans listening, you know, a, a, a star coach in the AFL will make you know over a million dollars. And only a few players in the AFL, the best Aussie Rules Football League, will make over that money. Whereas in the NBA, you know, the best coaches are making like, what, $8 million, barely even, you know, barely that seven, and eight that's figures. A high. Yeah, and that's a big... And that's a high. And that's a mid-level exception sort of guy. That's like a Lou Williams sort of type. Whereas, you know, LeBron James, you know, Russell Westbrook, $40 million. <laughs> I feel like coaches are undervalued in basketball, uh, in NBA basketball, so to speak. I feel like the impact, especially with the young teams going forward, you know, Brad Stevens, you know, he's, if you're talking about like the most important part of the Boston Celtics performances this year, for me, it's, it's Brad Stevens, you know, he deserves, you know, the MVP of coaching and sort of that sort of sense. There needs to be like a sort of separate award rather than coach of the year because there's so many great coaching performances that we've seen. Yeah, it's definitely, and I agree. I think it's something you, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the inflation of a coach's salary coming up, but Jack, this was a great show. As always, thank everybody for listening. Like I mentioned before, you can listen to The Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.